Welcome to Legally Speaking, a podcast from the Utah Attorney General's Office. This is a look at some of the big cases, issues, and concerns our office faces, provided in a format that's easy to understand. As Utah's largest law firm, we're talking about some of the most important issues this state faces, legally speaking. Hello and welcome to Legally Speaking. I'm Richard Pye with the Utah Attorney General's Office. Joining me today is Deputy Solicitor General Christopher Bates, who has had previous experience on uh, with law enforcement and justice uh, for the Utah for the United States Senate, I should say. Uh, we're going to break this podcast series up into three, with the headline being criminal justice reform. Thanks for joining us today. Sure, glad to be so here. So tell us a little bit about your experience working for the Judiciary Committee for the United States Senate. So I was a staffer on the Judiciary Committee uh, for about four and a half years uh, for Senator Hatch uh, back when he was in office. And Judiciary is most well known for the Judiciary Committee uh, for his work on Supreme Court nominations. Mm -hmm. So you might recall Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, right. Amy Coney Barrett, that's sort of what you see most on television. Right. That's, the, also, that's the drama, but you got some bread drama. and butter stuff going yeah, on too. Yeah, so we also do legislation. So all federal criminal law goes through the Judiciary Committee, uh, intellectual property, uh, immigration uh, as well. So uh, we, we have uh, a fair number of uh, you know, hot topics that come through, um, but all laws that amend the federal criminal code um, also, provisions relating to uh, you know law enforcement funding of you know the FBI, other law enforcement that that touches on judiciary as well. So okay, so you've got from a policy standpoint a little bit of an eagle's eye view of the criminal justice system and issues like police de-escalation, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, first of all, when when something happens in law enforcement and there's a reaction and people say, we need to put your, you know, whatever policy you're trying to create there as a reaction mm -hmm. to something that creates emotion mm -hmm. as well. Does that work? Is that an effective way to develop policy when it comes to law enforcement? A lot of policy that happens uh, on Capitol Hill, uh, across the country, as you mentioned, is, is reactive. So there's, you know, there's an event involving law enforcement, there's, there's a shooting, or, or you know, there's some sort of tragedy that happens. So of course, lawmakers, they want to respond. And so oftentimes what you see is there will be bills introduced to address whatever the, the problem was that happened. So say you had a shooting, and the shooter should not have been able to have a firearm because of something in their background. Um, so maybe bills will be introduced to try and address that. Which is, which is good you know, to the extent that there are um, you know, loopholes or holes in policy that could help to prevent future tragedies. Obviously, you want to, you want to close those, but um, obviously you need to be thinking proactively as well. If all you're doing is, is, is being reactive, you know, each, each tragedy that happens is gonna be a little bit different from the one that preceded it. So if all you're doing is being reactive, you might stop the same thing from happening again, but you're not maybe looking to the future thinking about like, well, how can we stop you know, the next bad thing from happening that might be a little bit different. Right. So if something happens, say there's a police shooting or, um, you know, police uh, abuse of power in, in some way, yes or no question, do you have an opinion on how the department uh, should, how the police department that's involved or even the prosecutors should react to that individual case. Do you have an opinion most of the time when you hear about something that's happening? I do. I mean, obviously, it always depends on, on the facts. Every situation is different. But certainly, 
you know, responding to, if, if there's a public outcry, responding to the public outcry, showing that you're being responsive to the feelings that are happening in the community. I mean, that's, that's essential. Uh, studies have shown, and you know, I saw this time and again, talking with law enforcement experts when I worked on the Judiciary Committee, that having positive relationships between law enforcement, police officers, and communities is essential to effective policing. So when something happens in the community, law enforcement needs to be ready, needs to be engaged, so they can help them maintain, and you know, if there's been a breakdown in trust, to help reestablish it, because you need that in order to have right. positive, yeah. positive law enforcement. So does law enforcement in general in this country deserve to be looked at and potentially reformed at least a little bit? To what extent do they, does it? Uh, so I think certainly by and large, uh, police officers, law enforcement are doing a good job. You know, it's a dangerous job, it's a hard job. The vast majority of law enforcement officials are, you know, honest, hardworking, everybody makes mistakes, but the vast majority are out there uh, doing the right thing. Um, mistakes, mistakes of course happen. And when they do happen, uh, you know, they might not be intentional, you know, and of course you do have bad actors out there occasionally um, who, who do things that they shouldn't be doing. And when, so when there are mistakes, whether intentional or unintentional, uh, they, need, they need to be addressed. But certainly on the whole, law enforcement, you know, you're, you're one of the middle law enforcement officers, is an honest, hardworking person. And I think it's important for us to give them credit for, for the good job that so they do. So we talk about law, uh, criminal justice reform in the, in the sense of law enforcement specifically. I think a lot of people think, well, we need to, we need to establish guidelines for police officers and how they interact with the public. But what's your opinion about also uh, what the legislative side does to law enforcement by piling on all these requirements? You've got to make sure that minors aren't driving. You've got to make sure that the alcohol, blood alcohol level is lower and lower, and you've got to crack down on that, and you've got to break up the domestic fight. Um, does reform also encompass, in your opinion, uh, maybe defining law enforcement's position in the community a little bit better and, and, and maybe taking some of those responsibilities away somehow or not making them so onerous on the officers. It's really important for there to be dialogue between law enforcement agencies and lawmakers on these, on these subjects. You know, I remember when I was on the Judiciary Committee, you know, maybe a crisis or a tragedy would happen and we'd be thinking about what we could do to address it. You know, so I'm sitting there in my office looking at the law, you know, seeing maybe there's, you know, a, a gray area in the law, something that could be fixed. I'm kind of sitting there thinking about how I might solve it. Well, I'm not a police officer. You know, I'm not as familiar with how these things play out on the streets. So, you know, I would have my ideas, but what we always wanted to make sure to do would be to invite law enforcement in to talk to us, to bounce off maybe, to bounce off the ideas that I had. You know, they would tell me, oh, Chris, that's a great idea. That'll help solve the problem, or you know, Chris, there's going to be some unanticipated consequences there that you're not thinking through. You know, they're the folks who have to who have to implement these laws, and so having a dialogue between law enforcement and lawmakers um, on these issues is um, is certainly important. What, in your opinion, is the most effective type of law, criminal justice reform that's occurred in the last ten to twenty years? Can you think of anything? Well, so a couple of years ago, there was the, uh, the First Step Act uh, that Congress passed um, that made uh, a number of reforms, changed some sentences. Um, but what I think a really positive thing was that came out of the First Step Act was dealing with recidivism. And I would say that in the last, in the last 10 years, there's been a, a, 
significant focus both at the federal level and across the country at the state level as well on recidivism and rehabilitation. There's, there's I think, become an increasing awareness that you know, when people commit crimes, when they break the law, obviously they need to suffer consequences. And if that, and if that includes a term of jail, a term of prison, that's certainly appropriate. But what we, what we don't want to have happen is for them to be released, reoffend, and return to prison. That's sort of like the worst case scenario. Right. And so, you know, for, for a long time, um, during sort of the, you know, what was sometimes called the tough on crime era of the 80s and 90s, the focus was on, you know, tamping down, trying to be, you know, as tough as we can be on offenders, which certainly is appropriate. But I would say like in the last 10 years or so, there's been, in addition to thinking through it in that way, there's been a focus on, okay, we're tough, we make sure, you know, the, the time fits the crime, but how do we ensure people are successful once they finish their term of right. incarceration. And I think that's been a really positive thing. Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of law enforcement officers, I can tell you, that feel like we've become soft on crime um, because of the overcrowding in the system in part and a number of other uh, factors, uh, the emergence of more civil rights um, cases and whatnot. I think that people feel like it's swung too far the other way. Do you have an opinion on that? I, I think that if you look across the country and you see the rise in crime in a lot of cities, you see some of the new you know, approaches that some prosecutors have taken where you know, they're, they're not even really prosecuting things that are lower than felonies, they're, um, you know, they're, they're not or only rarely holding people um, in custody awaiting trial. Um, you know, I think that those, have been, are, those are serious problems and, and I think that there's you know, general agreement that those are aspects that have contributed to the rise in crime over the past couple of years. So, I mean, you know, as in all things, there needs to be a balance, but, you know, saying we're not going to, we're just not going to enforce the law against a whole range of crimes, you know, particularly like more serious misdemeanors, um, you know, that sends a message to, right. to folks like, hey, I can violate, you know, certain laws with impunity. Right. And, you know, most of us are law-abiding citizens. Crimes. We're not going to do that, but, you know, those who might be inclined otherwise, you know, it's all about incentives. You know, there's a lot of people in, you know, here in Utah that don't think property crimes are properly handled just because there isn't the manpower or, mm -hmm. you know, the backup within the system to handle it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is the first in a series that we're going to be doing on criminal justice reform. We'll have part two, which will handle the de-escalation uh, among police officers, police de-escalation next time. For now, I'm Richard Pyatt. Thanks for joining Legally Speaking. See you next time.